Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Hi, welcome back to this week's episode of Dig In. I am joined today by Tyler Phillips, who is the founder of The Hummiverse, a new sort of snacking universe that he's created. Today, we're going to talk about some really cool ways that he's positioning his snacks brand, um, blending a lot of nostalgic marketing with a lot of sort of new tactics. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, hello, listeners. Um, uh, welcome to the Hummiverse, I guess, and we'll we'll jump in <laughs> later on, on what that even means. Um, but just really appreciative to to be on here today and uh, share the story and hopefully some helpful tips to maybe founders out there or just people in other businesses even too. Um, and life, maybe maybe a little bit of life tips for myself and Hank, the the mighty mascot uh, of the Hummiverse, or one of them. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. We've got to touch on all of the mascots if there's more than one. Um, yeah. To get, to get the listeners kind of uh, aware of who we're chatting to today, can you tell us a little bit about um, your background or how you ended up creating the Hummingburst? Yeah. Um, so it might sound like something that I came up with while I was like raving at a festival or out camping or something like that. But um it happened kind of naturally, um, just, I guess, to go back a little bit for it, uh, before the Hummingverse was created, I grew up in upstate New York, um, and so was part of a, a large kind of wild, very busy on the go family of five, and I'm the oldest. Um, and then we also have a chain of hardware stores in the area, actually. Um, shout out Phillips Hardware for anyone in Albany. Um, stop in to our new Altamont store, my parents, John and Amy, will greet you very much and can tell them that you heard on the Dig In podcast, but that might be a, a small niche here, um, same for that. But um, yeah, so the family stores were really kind of like inspiration, even I didn't, even though I may have not realized it at the time, just being a young age, at a young age, working in the store, being the oldest, so I was always around conversations um, with my dad and his father, um, who passed it down to him. And it's been uh, many generations since 1886. So I guess it's kind of in our blood is serving the community um, and building a small business to support that community. And so although hardware and snacks might not go hand in hand, I think that was one of those early seeds that was planted that kind of um, grew over time. And then I went to university at uh, UMD, University of Maryland for finance and accounting. Um, I was pretty good at math uh, growing up. And so that's kind of where the universe seemed to be directing uh, myself. And maybe some younger people can relate to this. Um, when you're younger, you don't really know that much about yourself or your interests. Some, a lot of it is sometimes things that are projected onto you or people tell you, oh, you're good at this. You should go do this. And, and you start listening to them sometimes more than you're listening to yourself. So I think that's how I ended up in finance and accounting. And during those four years, um, I learned a lot in the business school. I made a lot of great friends and networking. And a lot of those friends, too, um, in the business school, maybe they had entrepreneurial families, but a lot of them went into the corporate world after. Um, and so during my senior year, I kind of had a, a pivot, I guess, where um, I was talking with a friend. And this kind of weaves into some of the futuristic stuff we're doing um, in the company, because it was actually a friend that introduced me to cryptocurrency at the time. 
he had been um, like one of those true entrepreneurs, I think, like since the age of 14, he was buying and selling sneakers on eBay. Um, and then he always kind of scaled different businesses. Um, he ended up having some like shoe machines in malls and stuff like that. And we were just talking and he was telling me about this new thing, Ethereum that he was investing in. And so right before senior year, I started reading up more about it. I learned about the technology, saw how it would just disrupt a lot of things. I think I got a little bit um, like too, I, I tend to be an early adopter and I think that the technology will arrive sooner than it actually does. Um, so I had thought that my career in accounting was kind of um, in its last days, like that this blockchain technology would make everything transparent and traceable and that could really um, transform like auditing and tracking transactions and a lot of thing that a lot of things that accounts to um, and so I think during that time I kind of was thinking well what else would I want to do and I I loved learning about this and I talked with that friend more um, and we had the idea to move to Puerto Rico actually and at the time the the business plan was to help small businesses adopt this new technology cryptocurrency and blockchain and kind of consult with them on how it's a best fit for their business and so this was kind of it started in 2017 and then uh, we graduated in 2018. So by the time we graduated, there had kind of been one of those bubbles in the cryptocurrency market um, that had popped and we found ourselves in Puerto Rico, like a beautiful, wonderful island, but now we weren't sure what to do. Um, so I started working with some startups there, um, not in food yet, but um, still throughout childhood until then, I'd always loved food. And then as I got older, got more into nutrition and and um, really focusing on what was being put into my body, but work with startups and things like renewable energy there through a pre-accelerator program, um, consulting with another kind of serial entrepreneur from the Bay Area that had moved there. He was only um, like 19 years old, one of those college dropouts, and he had many businesses that um, kind of consulted with him on and helped with like um, business partnerships, um, customer insight to kind of work on our MVP product, investor meetings, um, and just love the relationship building side of things and the, the collaborativeness, I think, of the startup world. Um, and then in January 2020, I promise this is kind of the, the end of this origin story, I guess, for now. Um, but January 2020 is kind of when Hank Cummy uh, maybe would have been born um, into our universe, I guess. Um, he's our mighty chickpea mascot and really the first um, mascot in the Hummiverse. Um, and it all originated around, I was coming back from a hot, uh, run outside. I started like loving in endurance training actually even right now I'm coming off of like 90 minutes on the bike um, and it just gets me in kind of this creative uh, flow and it's where you can kind of sort through all those problems that sometimes if you're focusing too much on them they're tough to solve but when you have that space sometimes the solutions just pop into your head and so it was on this run I came back and I was craving um, like ice cream for the first time in a while um, but I was on like more of a plant-based diet and I'd cut out added sugars and I didn't want to compromise that. There was nothing available like that in Puerto Rico. So I looked up this recipe and it was really kind of wacky. It was like, you take a dessert hummus and you can add uh, milk to it. And in this case, I added like plant-based milk and a little bit of plant-based protein. And then I mixed it up um, and stuck it in the freezer. And it was hummy was what we called it. It was like this vegan uh, protein ice cream. And from there, there was uh, a lot of pivots. And then obviously one of the big things maybe we can talk about later is like adapting to different things. Um, COVID happened only a few months later. 
um, right after that friend who I had moved with and then a few of our mentors, they were actually um, going to invest in the company. So it was like four of us. Um, and then I found myself in March um, back home in Albany, helping out with the, the Phillips Hardware um, chain of hardware stores in upstate New York. Um, it was an essential business, so it was slammed, very busy, and we were trying again to support the community. Um, but I was still making this product by night um, and ended up getting into an accelerator program called Union Kitchen. And they kind of brought the business to life in, in the first real sense of like, what do we do to get on store shelves? And we launched a popsicle, um, went from ice cream, identified more of a gap in the market with the popsicles. Um, with Hummy, I think the one uh, connection is always trying to find that blue ocean opportunity, that white space, um, instead of going and competing in a saturated market, um, just being bootstrapped and not having a huge budget to really compete against the big guns. It's like, okay, they're doing this. Well, how can we be different and still serve a need that maybe they're too big to focus on right now? Um, and so that was a learning lesson. And then since then kind of learned to get out of uh, the frozen category. And we've been transitioning since last year into shelf stable snacks. Um, first with a mini muffin Kickstarter campaign. Um, and that has had its own challenges, um, partially due to the Russia-Ukraine situation and the, the labor shortage market here. So that's been delayed a lot. Um, sourcing ingredients has been kind of tricky. And then that's what opened the door to introduce points into the world, um, which is our only product right now for sale. And it's in uh, actually, as of this week, um, 10 retail markets in Los Angeles. And then we're gonna open up e-commerce this fall as the temperatures cool down a bit and we don't have to worry about melted chocolate as we ship it. Um, so that's the long story, I guess. Love it. That's so interesting. No, I really, I think a lot of people, um, you know, maybe further on in the lifetime of a business get like so tired of telling the story of how everything came together. So it's nice to talk to someone who's happy to tell the story. I think a lot of the time when I'm interviewing people, they're like, oh my gosh, another person has asked me <laughs> to tell the story of the business. So that's, it's really interesting. Thank you. So you've been through lots of iterations in terms of the products that you kind of brought to market or you've thought about bringing to market. Um, you've got the points product on the market now. Um, I think one thing that would be really interesting to dive into is the way that you market Hummy um, or the, the products themselves. We talked a little bit about this when I had a chance to chat to you earlier this week, but you were saying, you know, it's a mashup of kind of new and nostalgic um, themes or reference points. Talk to me about how you kind of developed the, the visual brand for your, yeah. for your business. Um, so I guess to start off, like I, I don't come from a background in marketing or design. I like doodled and drew cartoons a lot when I was little. Um, and maybe some of that was like suppressed while I was in college. And now it's just all built up and came out with making these storylines and these characters. Um, but some of that mashup might be unintentional. But then as I make it, people are like, oh, that looks cool. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I, I didn't mean for it to look like it's like a collage of different things. That's just me not knowing um, like themes that well and, and how to set things up. But it it's cool because it kind of resonates with the do-it-yourself, I think, nature of like um, just small businesses and, and especially this brand too, how it um, like 
our story, I think, can live through the characters and the characters are kind of these underdogs in their own universe. And so the storytelling in that way, I think, stemmed from like just growing up with that large family of, um, again, like five kids. We were always like stuck in front of the TV sometimes if the parents were dealing with someone else. Um, and we bonded over like TVs, going to the movies a lot. And so all that storytelling. Um, and then my dad is just like a natural storyteller. Um, like I listened to so many, I was very quiet as a kid and I listened to so many conversations that he had telling these fun stories that like you learn a lot from, but also engages you, like he's asking questions throughout. And so I think we want to do something similar with the Hummiverse where um, as we evolve, it becomes something that the community can get, um, I guess, invested in and, and like involved with so that we're not just the ones marketing to the community, but it's really a, a back and forth kind of dialogue and conversation. And the way that lives with the snacks is like, it's also very easy to show what a flavor is um, at a quick glance or like what the product might be if we have like an anamorphic cartoon that shows it right on the package because grocery stores are, are very busy. Um, I mean, that's one thing I've learned and we can even probably improve on some of our packaging design is it's got a lot going on and a lot of colors, um, which maybe works well in like the digital sense in the world when people have more time to like zoom in and see it. But on grocery store shelves, depending on the setting, um, all that noise, instead of drawing attention, it can almost be overwhelming to certain people. Um, tends to be though younger people are drawn to that. And that's kind of one of our core communities. Um, so I hope that answered the question a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like as we're talking about the brand and the, the company that you've built, it's all kind of bringing up things, I guess, like from the past about why you would have wanted to create a business um, around food or just like a business in general. Um, when we think about the mascots or like the, the cartoons that you're using on your packaging and on your marketing, does that kind of come from that as well? Like this, I don't know, like little kids sitting in front of the Saturday cartoons in the morning. Um, is that kind of like that, like nostalgic, warm and fuzzy feeling that you wanted to convey? Yeah, I, I think actually it does. And I think there was a lot of nostalgic emotion going around, like when the pandemic hit. And that was really when this company kind of uh, like started, really. I mean, it, it was just a little fun idea, like was making samples had a, a little bit of a logo and I think just Hank coming like a first cartoon version of him before but everything else came afterwards and when people were stressed and felt like there's a lot of uncertainty in the world we tend to go towards things we understand and things that make us comfortable and so yeah like you were saying a lot of this probably stemmed from that and I think a lot of the characters they're different personalities it just comes from um relationships in my own life or other people who join the team sometimes as like an early intro task I'll be like well we're working on this new character but we don't have it nailed down yet do you want to kind of as your first homework assignment per se like go help create this character and it, it helps bring in different perspectives and voices so that's that's the idea with the characters too is like not only do they look different because they're different ingredients or with the points each color of the, cause these, this is like an M&M alternative that's naturally colored. So they have like a little bit less brighter tones, which again, kind of plays into that nostalgia. Cause when you picture like 
old time things in the 40s. I don't know why in our heads, everything just seems a little bit like sepia toned. Um, and so, yeah, they all have their own personalities. So interesting. Thank you, Tyler, for um, kind of explaining that. And thank you for letting me, I guess, ask you questions about your family life. It's just really interesting to hear where all of these ideas come from. I kind of, I wanted to ask a little bit about your actual products, because I know you said you had the muffin and then there was popsicle and then you were toying with ice cream for a little while. Do you have any specific sort of um, rules or um, anything that makes, I guess, your product, is there a threshold it needs to hit or rules that it needs to hit to be like hummy compliant? <laughs> I feel like that sounds like a really intense word, but I essentially I just want, I want to understand kind of how you know that something is up to standard or that, you know, works for, for you and your customers. Yeah. I like that compliant, like hummy compliance, Hank Hummy's compliance rule book or something. Yeah. Um, exactly. yeah, we guardrails. Um, and I guess like anything we always hear, like in life, like once you have rules, that doesn't mean you can't break them, but at least it helps you focus a little bit. And then you can take it on a case by case situation of like, okay, is there a reason to break this? And should we? Um, and so the rules um, are that the products are plant-based. Um, that's both from like a personal health, um, I guess, like source um, where I, I've, just personally, I know everybody's body is different too, but I felt much better on a plant-based diet. Um, and I think our products too, I want to help promote that. And it also comes from a place of uh, sustainability. And um, now we're reaching like, even in that short time of like two years since the company has launched, um, there's interesting things developing where like, you can have a product now that's not plant-based, but it's more sustainable because they're doing things like lab grown meat, um, you can get whey without like getting it from the cow um, per se. So like, I guess that would be where the conversation about breaking the rule would come or like, do we amend the rule? Um, the Hummies compliance rule book. Um, but, and then the other ones I would say is low sugar. Um, again, like I just saw a big benefit in my uh, own energy, which is ironic because people think like, sugar will give you energy uh, and yeah it does but it's usually short-lived and it leads to a crash um and like some of our products like these um points they are keto friendly um i wouldn't say i'm on the keto diet but i may be in ketosis sometimes um but the main difference there is like we're not a keto brand whereas keto brands tend to be very high fat because that's what your body is using as a fuel source um and we more, I think it might be more of use to people in like the pre-diabetic and diabetic communities, which um, is a, like a large portion of our population right now. I think like a third of adults 18 or older are either pre-diabetic or diabetic. And those numbers um, looking like they may increase. So like we just want our snacks to be something that people can enjoy. And again, that nostalgic. So it's like maybe something they miss from their childhood and now they can enjoy and know it's not going to spike their glucose levels, give them a horrible crash later. Um, and then with the plant-based and sustainability aspects, like it's helping the planet too, which I think at, that'll make you feel good. And then as you eat it, you'll f your body will feel good. So hopefully it's like, uh, instead of like the M&M alternative, I, I'm stealing this from a 
um, a friend I met this weekend at a sampling event. He said I could use it, but it's like mighty and mindful um, is kind of our version with the points. Um, and I think that's how we look to grow in the future. And the one person who I didn't talk about um, in this scenario who might um, get angry if I didn't mention him is Hank Hummy and like the power of the chickpea. Um, and so like chickpeas where that's a, I guess an example of like with points looked at amending that rule of like, we didn't use chickpeas in this product right now. Um, but what we're working on is getting to a point of scale um, where we can start doing neat things with the formula and we could introduce a, a version of it that has a little more protein in it. Um, and that would be in the form of uh, chickpea protein that we're sourcing in partnership with um, this company um, that's based in Virginia, um, Nutriati, um, and they make this product called Arteza. And it's like, you can't taste like those off notes that sometimes you get with pea protein. So I'm a big proponent. It's like a little club. Anytime I meet like other chickpea brands, we just end up nerding out and sharing uh, our love of the chickpea. And so cool. I mean, as I hear you talk about, you know, the chick, the mighty chickpea and um, all of these different charms, like it just seems like, you know, and of course, you know, so much about, about um, plant-based food and how to feel your body in the right way. What would you say to someone who maybe comes from a finance background like you, um, but you know, loves food and wants to get into this space? Like, what would your advice be to someone like that? Because you've had to kind of upscale that part of you, I'm sure really quickly. Um, and it depends on what level you're at in the finance world. Um, some people have a lot of success if they come from like investment banking background where they've done it for five years, they've saved up some money and they have like some great connections that can even be like some of their first investors. And then I think you're setting yourself up for a good foundation. The one thing that like sometimes those um, people lack and something that I need to like really tap into and, and kind of um, at a, coming out of college maybe all the running and the time in Puerto Rico, like all that fresh air and kind of shock to like being in somewhere different um, is getting that creativity out and not being beholden to numbers. Um, was just on a great like little call with um, an, an awesome founder, Jamie Schmidt, who started Schmidt's Naturals, um, the deodorant company. Um, and she now does investment in other companies, but she said like, you have to be a certain level uh, of like naiveness. Like if you're, spending all your time in the data and the research and looking at what other brands are doing, you're not going to do, you're not going to build something unique. And you might be, there's always like things with data, like what is the data not saying sometimes is more important. And you might only discover that by just really getting your voice out and then your community's voice out and like building around, around that. Um, uh, but yeah, I wanted to say don't go into food at the beginning, but that would have been kind of harsh. <laughs> it is tough looking up the numbers. And yeah. the numbers. I didn't know that before getting into this. Um, it's like, it's really, really difficult to get a profitable business um, off, like right off the bat. Um, but maybe that's where, if you come from the finance world, you have some connections to money and investment and really smart people to make sure you're driving down your costs um, and pricing it in an okay way. And it's like, sometimes yeah. this will be like, I keep on going on different tangents, but the last thing is like, we're seeing interesting things with like tax structure right now. We're like, you might do 
like a price decrease, but then also you're decreasing the pack size a little bit, um, which at first, like it might rub people the wrong way. Like, well, now I'm getting less food, but then like kind of going back to the um, thing of like a third of the population is pre-diabetic or diabetic. Like some of our pack sizes might be too large to begin with. And you go and travel to these other countries and their meals and their portion control is much smaller. So maybe indirectly, this is like starting a trend where smaller packs for a smaller price will be a thing. I mean, in terms of how you learned so much about the the sort of plant-based world and how you learned so much about, you know, where you source chickpea protein and like, was that just like a, um, what's the, the phrase I'm looking for? Did you just have to kind of jump in with two, two feet and figure it out in the, in the moment? Like how did, where did you look to for help on, on the actual industry itself? Yeah. Um, I think of, I've talked about this in another podcast, so I don't want to repeat exactly what I, I said, but um, it's like, I, I, there's some elements of like gamification and like entrepreneurship and like, I played some like video games growing up and it's like, okay, you're put into this big new world. Um, do you jump into the missions right away or do, like, do you get a scope of like your environment? You make a few friends that maybe can help you if it's like a multiplayer game or something like that. Or even I also played team sports. So looking at that and like in the CPG space, I think especially like everyone is really kind and they offer your help. Um, now at first being someone coming out of college and growing up in New York um, and like in that business school sense, you're kind of caught off guard by that because like you're trained at, or at least I was to be like not trusting of people who offer their help. Like what do they want in return? But over time you can sense when it's genuine. Um, and then it's nice, like the more connections you make indirectly, you'll be able to kind of help other people because you'll just have your ear to your ground, ear to the ground, and you'll hear of other things that people need. And then someone else mentions like, um, hey, I'm looking for this. And you're like, oh, well, that person just posted something about they're looking for more clients and they offer this. And I had a conversation with them and it works really well. Um, so that's kind of where getting help comes from. And then knowing like who your specialists are, I think, to reach out to. Um, never shy away from like a cold LinkedIn outreach. Um, sometimes it's just a numbers game or even just catching a person on the right day or the right time. Um, and then some of the like knowledge that I've had or like grown to learn is like just from like people who are um, taking a look at the business or the product and they ask something that no one else has asked. And then I mark it down. I'm like, well, that's a great question. I wish I had an answer for it. And then I have to go and, and do some research um, so that I do realize it. Um, but yeah. It's really good to hear. I mean, even it, even though it's such a saturated space that like everyone is so kind. I've heard that before that everyone's like so, so open to helping other people and um, making sure that they can connect people to, to other people who can help them. So that's really good to hear. Um, I'm going to totally switch gears right now. In a previous conversation, we talked about NFTs. Um, and we kind of touched on it at the beginning. You were saying you got really excited about new technology. You tend to be an early adopter. Um, and when I was checking out your site, and when we were chatting, you mentioned um, you were considering the potential of kind of investing in an NFT um, for Hummiverse. 
talk to me about the rationale for, for doing something like that. Yeah. Um, so originally I think when the business stemmed, I probably wrote like an early business plan with that friend who I'd moved to Puerto Rico with. Um, he actually was the one who helped came up with the name, uh, Hami. Um, so that friend who, uh, taught me a little bit or just told me, Hey, I'm investing in this thing, Ethereum. And then I went and learned about it and told him more about what he was actually buying. Um, then like him and I would have conversations because then he started getting interested in learning about it. So I think in the early days, we wrote up like a business plan about like, okay, if we have an e-commerce site, how can we again, like gamify it, make it a fun experience and use like tokens or cryptocurrency that people are owning. And the cool thing with this is like, um, there's a limited supply or we can set a limited supply. So it really is like, it's not like we can just print more money in a sense, like we would eventually run out and then the people who have the the hanks or if that's what the tokens are called or whatever they might be um they can trade them amongst themselves or you need to circulate it um back out um so that was like the first idea but that never came to light um and then with nfts those really started rising in popularity i think in like 2019 i had bought my first thing like a virtual piece of land um in like 2018, I, I still have it. I don't quite know what to do with it because I'm not technical, um, but maybe it would become like a cool metaverse shopping market experience where like other brands could hop in or something like that. I've talked about that a few times, um, but uh, as that NFT's grown, I think like we saw the like the proliferation of um, like cartoons again being used. And then it's like, well, wait, we already kind of have cartoons that we're creating. like that would kind of be a natural progression there. It wouldn't feel like we're forcing anything. Um, and then a cool company came out that's called Novel NFT. Um, and I had found out about them because we were in a similar, like small group of 250 people. Um, I was with some of the founders. There's this group called Club, or it is, it's called uh, Club CPG. And um, it's this community actually connecting back to Jamie Schmidt that I mentioned earlier. Um, her and her husband, uh, Chris Cantino, started this group um, that's like at the intersection of Web3 and CPG, um, or that's how it started. And now it's kind of included people in gaming, people in other industries, but it kind of started with that core um, goal. And so I joined it early on because um, I didn't know of other people at the time that were in this CPG space that were also thinking about Web3. And I was kind of intimidated or afraid, I think, to like vocalize that this is something that we want to do and then jumping into this group and like talking with other people about it and sharing ideas and again learning about novel which getting back to it 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 can connect into your shopify uh website and it can do things called like token gating so like if you have an nft it can unlock specific discounts new sections of the website it almost acts as like a pass to a different shopping experience for each person depending on what they have. And that can be with like NFTs that us as a company release and we grant them access to different things. But since it's all public and um, all the contracts are out there for you to find and, and then you can um, copy them into this novel platform, you can grant other communities perks on your own website, um, which I thought was really uh, innovative and, and cool and something we would wanna test out when we um, start our e-commerce channel um and then the last i mean there's so many things with nfts like it's 
it's really a tool. Um, and sometimes it just gets clumped together as this one thing. Um, but it can be a source of like crowdfunding. So as we're going like this summer into a bear market um, a little bit, and it's a tough time for some founders to fundraise, um, it's a good time to build community and a business. And as you build that community, maybe it's through the sale of NFTs that can help bring a product to life. Um, kind of connecting back to Kickstarters. And like, again, we that's how we got funding to f start formulating the mini muffins was through there. Um, but uh, I guess if I want to leave, maybe we're going to ask like more questions about this, but could talk about too, like the philosophy has switched from like, instead of offering paid NFTs, I think our first foray um, into really um, doing it right. Cause we we've had an NFT in the past uh, with this company called rare circles it was not successful, but I, I learned a lot from it. Um, but I think the solution for us at least may be to offer them for free to our first right. customers who, who purchased the products. And then we just give them all the perks and they have to use the NFTs to get the perks because that's just how the technology works. Otherwise, like with discount codes, you can always share it to other people. And how do you know that the person that you intended to get that perk is the one getting it? Um, right. So the freeway is how we plan to roll it out this fall. Yeah, it's just, I haven't actually ever, I speak to a lot of people in the CPG world or FMCG world, and I've never talked to them about NFTs. I think it's so cool. And you, I love the way that you kind of laid out the benefits from a business standpoint of why you would want to invest in NFTs. It's all around, um, or the techno, invest in the technology itself. It's all around kind of building community, um, creating a really cool experience for your customers. But I think one of the things you're also alluding to is the fact that there are some pitfalls when it comes to leveraging NFTs or leveraging the technology. I mean, especially when you're trying to launch um, products or a range of products. Um, so when you mentioned the NFT, the previous paid NFT didn't, didn't quite land, um, are you kind of holding off for the moment on, uh, you know, launching the free NFT so that you can get your product lines off the ground or what's the plan there? Yeah. Um, and with the paid, one of the lessons learned was that, um, so originally we were supposed to have like an integration where you could buy it with a credit card and it would have made it very simple for people. Um, and then when we got to launch, I noticed that the page didn't have that option anymore. And it turns out they removed uh, that feature. So that may have been one of the things that would have changed the outcome uh, from that. But again, I still think learned a lot um, from it and maybe this freeway is better. And yes, with it, um, you don't need to set up a wallet right away or anything. And that's one of the areas of friction. Um, we're gonna be having this NFT free for you to claim whether you claim it or not, it'll be there like in your name. Um, through novel um like when you buy the product and you you give your email you'll have an email saying that this nft is ready for you to claim um and then one of the reasons waiting for launch so we have the art set up um i'm sure like the hope is to at least launch different collections over time that can offer unique things and give a glimpse you mentioned something that i didn't talk about as much earlier but is the community building and the storytelling aspect so like we're working on 
um, less, there's things called PFP projects, which are like the ones where you see like 10,000 unique different characters. Um, that's something that we would launch with first using the freeway. But over time with the storytelling, um, we're working on developing backstories to these points characters um, and creating little animated like looping videos um, that would be like your first foray into the actual like animated story of these. And then stemming after buying that, you'd kind of be introduced into this um, storytelling space of more of their backstory. And maybe that character is working on this new product. So now you get access to that new product early that they're developing um, because you bought that NFT. Um, that's not answering your, your question directly, really. But and one of the big things of holding off is um, I would say like the budget right now. Um, we are trying to get the website set up, um, but some of that requires selling more points here in Los Angeles during the summertime, um, which is okay because we have time um, before we would really be able to ship nationwide in an economical way, like this fall. So I have a few months to do that. And then um, with Novel right now, um, it costs, a, there is a cost associated with using their platform. Um, and some of that is okay for other people because they're not doing it a free way. Like they can make up that cost by having people pay for NFTs. But since we're using their tool in kind of a unique way so far from their other customers of granting them for free, it's not like we'll get paid back directly on that monthly investment. So it's like we're launching some things first on the website and we may have to retroactively give those people the NFTs um, and then later introduce it. Makes sense. Um, it's probably probably smart decision, although clearly I'm very excited about. I'm gonna have to go get myself a Hummy verse NFT <laughs> whenever it launches. <laughs> We are almost out of time, Tyler. So I'm going to, we, we always do a rapid fire question segment at the end, um, just to get some sort of rapid feedback from you. Our first question is about budget, um, which we kind of just touched on, but if you got double your budget tomorrow um, from what you're working with right now, what would you spend it on? Would it be the NFT launch? Would it be something different? Yeah, um, so as I mentioned, uh, the budget also isn't that substantial right now, so have to be crafty with it. But um, yeah, the website, getting it just ready and not having that perfectionism like put us at a fault. Like it's okay to launch. Okay, and I think that's the cool thing with NFTs is um, the community understands that they're part of this building process. So um, that could be part of it. The other part is I think doing um, unique things, just like gifting bags to more people. Um, like even later today, I'm driving up to Pasadena to visit a few stores but there's a customer that reached out to us on Instagram um, and just dropping off um, some freebies to her to hand out to her friends, try them, give feedback, things like that. Um, and just knowing that that'll have like a reverberating effect and worst case scenario, it develops just a connection with someone where we can just chat. She ends up being a, she's a dietitian actually too. So like that's someone going back to like people in your network, if there's questions about nutritional aspects um, she seems very happy to share what she knows. Um, so yeah, I think those would be the two areas. Awesome. And what is the coolest CPG brand packaging product innovation that you've seen in the last 
sort of 12 months and it can't be, it can't be home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I hope I would honestly say that there's other core, core innovations in a different way too. Um, although I sound probably passionate about Hami, um, there's really cool ones. So like one, I was just at Fancy Food Show, one that really stuck out. Um, and it, it's two, I believe their sister-in-laws um, or their, I believe they're that or their sisters. They're connected in some way and they launched this brand, uh, Whipnotic. Um, and it's this really innovative uh, whipped cream. Um, and so they have this unique patent on the nozzle where it infuses um, like kind of like jelly or like, like a flavor into the whipped cream as it's, um, as it's like poured oh. out to the nozzle. And then they want to do cool things like possibly putting something on the bottom, like a dispense thing, like for toppings. Um, but I thought that was really, oh. their branding is very cool. Um, and their backgrounds too, like one comes from the entertainment world and worked at CAA. Um, and the other one comes from a world where you would, it wouldn't be as much of a surprise to go into this. So it's cool seeing that pairing and how it might help them in, in the future. Oh, that's really cool. I've got to check these guys out. Um, we do a, a newsletter spotlight on like some of the coolest innovations going on in different sectors. And I feel like we should feature that one. Yeah, um, Delics, um they're like these mushroom chips. I, I'm, pop, sorry, I, what did you call them? Uh, Papadelics. They have these Papadelics. mushroom chips, but like they're branding too. I, they're, oh, I guess, okay with right now because mushrooms has this connotation around it. Um, yes. We're kind of leaning into that instead of like trying to go away from it. So they have like the, this hippie kind of 70s like branding and stuff um and actually one of the founders if not both of them came from the finance world um oh that's, cool so it's a it's a cool kind of connecting back to what we were talking about earlier yeah that's so interesting um final question i feel like we've covered some of this but if you could only choose one sort of skill that you think as a founder you really need to have in your toolkit what would it be um curiosity um, like every, just be curious to learn. And I, I try to remind myself sometimes, like it doesn't always need to be to learn to serve the business or serve a purpose right away. Sometimes it's just good to learn things. And then later on, um, it can just be in your repertoire and, and help you, whether it's help you directly or just be something cool that you share in a conversation. Um, yeah, just stay curious. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tyler. Where can people find you or find your brand? Um, yes, yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, if you type in uh, Tyler Phillips, T-Y-L-E-R-P-H-I-L-I-P-S, but then recommend adding Hummy, so H-U-M-M-I-I, just because there's probably lots of Tyler Phillipses. Um, in the <laughs> world. Um, you can also reach me by email at tyler at hummy.com. Um, and then you can find more about Hummy. Um, we're on Instagram at Hummy, um, H-U-M-M-I-I underscore yummy, Y-U-M-M-Y. And then on our website, www.hummy.com. Um, and the final place, I guess, if you're in LA, um, you'll be able to find us in some stores here. Um, we're in like Rainbow Acres Co-op, um, both Hive locations, which are juice bars, um, some keto shops, 
that are more on the outskirt, uh, outskirts, New Torrance, um, Life Food Organic, and a few other stores. If you're not sure where we are, just feel free to reach out with the contact info that I shared earlier. Um, and I'm always interested to hear where you, like our community or interested community members may shop and how we can get in those doors. Like that's the connection with the trip today is um, with that uh, woman that I'm sharing samples with, she recommended checking out this store. So then developed a little route to check out other stores in that, in that area. Um, just want to say too, thank you so much for having me on and everything you do with uh, Dig In and, and the stories and information that you, you guys share too. Oh, thank you for joining. This has been really nice. And honestly, I've learned a lot. So um, I can't wait to see where, where you guys take the brand and hopefully we'll get a chance to chat to you again. Uh, thanks, definitely. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.